Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Jake Zimmer and Will Tonda with you as always. Today is Tuesday, May 25th. Things are starting to get weirdly back to normal. The mask mandate is gone in most places. Uh, Cities are popping. This is kind of getting a little bit normal here. Yeah, I mean, the real telling tale was playoff sports are in full swing, and there was fans. It was a minimum capacity, but they sounded like it was maximum capacity, but now baseball parks are allowing 100%. Basketball games are looking to fill up. Football, a lot of stadiums have already agreed to 100%. Things are back. Baseball, I already mentioned baseball, but... Mm-hmm. Mention it twice. I'm Mention here it for twice. It. I mean, yeah, everything's back. You know, you can walk into stores without masks. It was like kind of like a weird adjustment. It's like, what's right? What's not right? What is everyone doing? But yeah, there's no mask mandate and all is well. I walked into Planet Fitness for the first time without a mask and I just felt naked. Like it just feels like you, like you're not wearing underwear, you know? Feels right though. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Feels right. Something about it. I don't know. I'm I'm excited for things to slowly return to normal, which is great. Um, great guest this week. We have Morgan Snyder from Buttonwoods Brewery. Founded it is the head brewer, basically the head honcho uh, at Buttonwoods Brewery over in Cranston. Perfect start to our episode 51. We're gonna get right into it. Talk some beer. Talk about his process, and we try a lot of his beer too. Great stuff. That's Buttonwoods Brewery in Cranston. So let's hear from the man himself. Morgan Snyder from Buttonwoods. All right, everybody. With us this week, we have Morgan Snyder, the founder, the head brewer, the taproom manager, the man of the ball for Buttonwoods Brewery out in Cranston, Rhode Island. He's drinking one of his beers right now, and he gave us a couple of beers to try out that we'll have on the show. But Morgan, how are you today? Good. How are you guys doing? Cannot complain. The weather's getting warmer. We know your tap room is uh, starting to open up as well as the patio, but we'll touch upon that in a couple minutes. But how's everything with you? How's, uh, you know, the past few weeks, months, how's the year going for you? It's good. I mean, you know, it, we're coming kind of feels like there's like a light at the end of the tunnel with uh, with COVID lockdowns. So um, I think a lot of as the weather warms up, so we're, uh, my, my anxieties are going away with the, the cold weather. So it's, it's, a, it's a good you got me on a good week. <laughs> we feel yeah. that indeed. So, Buttonwoods Brewery, one of the many breweries in the state of Rhode Island. So, let's start off this interview right off the bat. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Morgan Snyder? And tell us the, the story of Buttonwoods Brewery. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I got to try and keep this as, as short as possible because oh, um, it, it can get. Um, <laughs> It can be a long story if uh, if I tell the the full version. Um, but basically, so I'm a I'm a Virginia native, born and raised, uh, and that's kind of important to, to how I got here because um, I got my first start working it for a brewery, volunteering at a bottling line down in Richmond, Virginia. And um, those guys, they kind of uh, it's a brewery called Hardywood Parks. Uh, they're still around and they're they're still awesome. Um, and they they kind of got me into the beer industry, really showed me around and, and ultimately led to my first job in the beer industry, um, which really solidified my, my passion, my desire to, to get where, where I am now. Um, I started working in distribution, uh, moved my way into brewing and uh, kind of always 
in the back of my mind, hoping that I would one day open a brewery until, uh, until my parents moved to Rhode Island, which is how I ended up here. And um, so I uh, kind of saw that opportunity, jumped on that boat, got my dad uh, involved, and and we opened up Buttonwoods Brewery in 2017 and uh, basically specialized in uh, well-hopped IPAs, uh, clean lagers, and fun and interesting rustic industrial ales. That's great. And we love uh, you know, It's distributed very well around here. It's named for itself. I want to talk about your your entry into this business. Um, as many brewers do, maybe in different ways, but you had a lot of hospitality, beverage, uh, things of that nature. Um, you know, wide variety of experiences too. You were a server for a bit. Um, mentioned intern in a couple of different hospitality settings. So what are some of those big learnings that you had growing and getting into the hospitality industry that made you think you'd be a good fit for beer? Uh, I mean, I have to say like the, the, especially starting in the hospitality industry, um, uh, being as that was my gateway, it's, it's, you really, um, you know, hospitality is all about making connections and relationships and, um, in the beer industry, that's definitely kind of the same way. Um, so it's really, it was really almost a, a very seamless transition because when, when you're, you're working in that at restaurant setting, you, you kind of see that those connections of those bonds and, and trying to, um, build something an experience or, or, uh, some, something better than the sum of its parts. So that, that kind of like that, that environment really built my sensibilities of how I wanted to, to run, uh, the brewery that we're, we're operating right now. It's like, it's not about the beer, um, is kind of, it, it is primary to what we do as a business, but it, as an overall experience, it's really secondary. It's just, it's the connections that we make and how we, uh, uh, interact with each other. You know, we, we we kind of focus more on, on working within the community and, and making friendships first. And then the beer kind of solidifies those friendships and those interactions that we have with other people. So I read in one of your prior interviews, um, obviously as most, you know, breweries have their initial steps in the home brewer first. Um, how long to figure out that you had something that was quality product. I know a lot of the time, I know in the interviews you mentioned specifically, it's like you didn't realize how expensive home brewing was. You know, you were just doing it to booze as a college student and then it came to a, oh shit, like this is actually pretty expensive as we're doing some home brewing too. Um, but what, what was the time of like you buying your first kit to when you had like a, okay, this so I, I think every every home brewer has the same exact trajectory that I went through. Um, well, maybe not everyone, but that that moment you have your first homebrew, you kind of have that moment where you're like, oh shit, this is really good. Um, and it, you know, it's not. I think if I went back and actually tried my my first homebrew, I would I wouldn't get past like three sips. But the fact that I made it made made it so much better. Um, and so I think that. Like, I don't know if, it, like I said, I don't know if it's actually really any good. Um, but you know, from, from the beginning, uh, it just, it was, it wasn't so much that the, the beer was good as the experience was awesome. And I was just like, I made beer and it's, you know, I ended up drinking three or four of them. I was like, I'm also drunk off of it. So it worked. <laughs> um, so I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd love to, I, I keep joking about, 
uh, going back to that recipe and actually brewing it again. Um, and, and seeing if it, again, seeing if it's any good, but, um, it really, my first homebrew was, was magical in its own way. Probably not good. The second, third, fourth, and fifth, I, I, I were, were definitely, uh, wait a little bit of a wake up call of like, Oh, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, and, uh, and then, so it, it, it's a, it's a progress thing and you start to learn and, and you make, you're going to make mistakes. But, uh, as far as like that moment where I was like, Oh, this is this is viable. Was the was the first brew, um, even though again it probably was not that good in hindsight. <laughs> cool. Should we, should we try some now? Yeah, I mean, now you have a finished product of <laughs> multiple years later, and uh, we thank you a lot for the package you gave us. So I know you're drinking something, but we can go into the beers that you have currently provided. Which one should we start off with out of the three of us? Um, so I would probably start, um, with the double IPA, the can that I gave you guys. Um, the, I think the label is actually upside down, um, (laughs) just because it's, it's the end of the run. So there's, you know, you guys, you guys got what the staff normally takes home. It's, uh, it's potentially unservable because there's going to be a little bit more sediment at the bottom. So just be careful when you pour it, but, uh, it's really good nonetheless. So. Um, that's a collaboration with a brewery in Massachusetts called Channel Marker. Um, Double IPA, Strike the Sun. Um, uh, those guys are awesome. They, we we met them um, kind of by chance. We we operate the same can line, and we just kind of struck up a conversation about it. And uh, before I knew it, it was like, hey, you guys, you guys want to make beer? And you know, maybe within a couple of months, we were we. fast tracked it and got to the final stages. Um, so that's, that's our, we kind of took a couple techniques out of their playbook. They use a lot of what's called cryo hops, um, which is like basically a, um, a less vegetal matter version of regular hops. So it's super, super concentrated hops basically. And, um, um, yeah, it's, it's super tropical. I get like basically fresh peaches, a um, little bit of dank coming off of it, uh, and this really nice, like, sweet melon character. It's pretty cool. No, I mean, it has a great, great color. Strike the sun uh, for the folks at home, and we'll send out the picture on our Instagram too, but this is awesome. Um, with your collaboration, so, you know, you, you've been in Buttonwoods, you said, since around 2017, um, so it's been a few years. What kind of collaborations and who have you worked with in the past few years uh, besides your own, you know, brews that you have in house. Um, so collaborations are definitely like a big part of, of what we do. Um, you know, I got started in the beer industry in 2012. So it, there's a lot of friendships, um, that I forged over those, those years. And so we want to, we've always wanted to kind of play uh, with other people and brew different things because, you know, it, the beer industry, it's, making beer from day to day, it's, it's always, it's the same process. And so when you, you're able to do it with friends, it, it becomes a lot more fun. Um, and a, even that creative process of going back and forth, coming up with different ideas is, um, is refreshing from, from the day to day. So when we kind of, when we first started, I had this really ambitious goal of collaborating with, uh, every brewery in, in Rhode Island. Um, I, I slowly don't have a lot of confidence that I'll ever pull it off just because we're growing exponentially. 
you know, I, I'm doing a couple a year and there's every year that I do a couple more breweries than I've collabed with have opened up. Um, so it, it just kind of feels like I'm, I'm moving that boulder up the hill, uh, continuously. Um, but we've worked with, uh, long lives, one of the breweries we probably collab with the most. Um, I've known Armando for since before we opened up and we were, he's one of my very close friends. Um, and then we've also worked with beer down in, in Connecticut. Uh, we've brewed with Graysale. We've brewed with, uh, Coddington out in Ports, Portsmouth. I think they're Portsmouth, Middletown, excuse me. Um, we've worked with, uh, Ragged, um, when Rob, who's the head brewer and owner at Smug was there. So we're, we're due to do something with him at Smug now. Um, we work with what Widowmaker, we've become fast friends with them. Um, so we just, it, a lot of what we do is just, it's friendship based. Like, um, you, you don't, we don't just collab for the sake of collabing, although it, it can be fun. It's, it's, it's who do you want to have beers with, uh, and talk beer with. Um, so we've done, we try to kind of keep that in mind because, you know, there's, there's thousands of breweries and we can't collab with everyone, even though it would be a lot of fun too. Yeah. That's another good point too, about the Rhode Island beer scene. Um, wildly, I think saturated is the wrong word, but more, more folks are just starting to create breweries and sell more craft beer in Rhode Island. We just talked with Dave Ritchie a couple of months ago who directed, um, well, I, I, I'm forgetting the movie name now. The but craft beer yeah, movie. Yeah, the craft beer movie. <laughs> <laughs> that, is it? Um, but in the craft beer movie, a big part of it was the more people that get into this market, the more profitable everyone becomes. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on just the Rhode Island beer in general and, and how much it's growing and, and what that means for Buttonwoods. Yeah, I mean, just so give it context. So uh, uh, the Buttonwoods facility actually operates two breweries out of it. Um, uh, it's Buttonwoods, obviously, and then uh, Shane uh, and his wife, Erica Tessier, they um, they run Origin Beer Project out of ours. It's called an alternating proprietorship. So they own their own, the brewery is their own separate legal entity, but they use our equipment. And so um, Rhode Island numbers theirs from starting at one and, and they go uh, numerically. So we're, we are, our license is number 12 uh, and their license is 37. Um, and that's about three year difference of uh, when we opened. So just for context, it's what, uh, God, math is hard. 20, 25. Is that right? That's, yeah. 25. No, that's totally wrong. Either, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, 25, 20, 20. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, now I'm going to look stupid, but, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of breweries, <laughs> like just over three years. Like, you know, where there were, you know, closing in on like at least five new breweries a year. Um, so, you know, I don't think, I don't think we're anywhere near saturation though. Um, because when you look at all the overall breweries that are operating, we're all pretty low. I mean, we did, um, we're by, by the overall metric, we're one of the bigger producers in the state and we, we barely, we're just under 500 barrels a year. Um, and for, for context, uh, I believe, uh, Treehouse does 15,000, um, and they're still considered pretty small. Um, the biggest brewery in the state of Rhode Island is Whalers and they did 12,000. Um, and then, I mean, not, not including Narragansett, um, but only cause I don't know their numbers off the top of my head. They're, they're definitely bigger, but the way that they operate and where they're 
their production is. I, I don't have those numbers readily available. So there's plenty of growth. Um, you know, we, we have less breweries than Portland, Maine, and we have a population size five times as big. So there's, there's plenty of room to grow. Um, you know, I, I think, I think it's a little, it's getting crowded. And so it's, it's a lot more, um, product oriented, you know, you can't just open up, you know, maybe 10 years ago, it, you, you had the luxury of, of figuring it out, um, starting from the beginning, but now you kind of have to hit the ground running in order to really be successful. Um, not to say that you can't be successful, um, and kind of still figure it out, but it's just a little bit harder and scarier now. Um, so that's where, where when people say they're opening a brewery, I'm like, ask questions, figure it out. Like we'll help you. So like, you know, I, I think, I think there's plenty of room for more people. Just uh, make sure you're ready for it. <laughs> so past couple of years, you've obviously seen some, some great growth as well. Um, you know, kind of give us a walkthrough of that journey. Like when you first opened to the past couple of years to obviously the pandemic, maybe making an impact or making some changes. How have the past few years, you know, defined your growth? I, I feel like it, it's funny people say growth. Um, um, I mean, we've definitely obviously grown and it, it, it doesn't feel being a small business, it, you, you, you kind of get lost in the day to day. So it doesn't really feel like we've, we've grown as much as we have, because as, as we grow, the, the things I have to do continue to, to expand and, 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 uh, get more complicated. Um, so I'm, I'm, I get caught in the minutia of the day and, and tend to get to see the forest for the trees. Um, but I would say that like, excuse me, uh, it's been a fun, it's been a fun, weird, interesting journey because as we, as we continue to grow, um, we're really trying to look at inward all the time and, uh, figure out what, what makes buttonwoods buttonwoods. And I feel like every probably about three or four months, I'm like, all right, so what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And is it working? Um, so we, we, when we started, you know, at the beginning of this, this interview, I kind of mentioned the three things that we focused on uh, and one of them happened to be loggers. And, um, you know, if you asked me three years ago, if Buttonwoods was going to focus on loggers, I would have been like, hell no, they're too complicated. <laughs> um, but we kind of found our, our, our niche in it and we really enjoyed the, the process of making them. Um, and it became such a much bigger part. Um, I would have definitely replaced lagers with uh, clean saisons, which is actually probably one of the next bottles I would recommend uh, that you crack open. It's the bottle without the label on it. Um, that is a clean saison from us. Um, but it's, you know, we, we, we always knew that the hoppy stuff was kind of going to be the driver behind who we are and what we are, because um, the thing I've, I've noticed in, in the almost 10 years being in the industry is that no matter what style is mo most prominent, but it it's always this type of IPA. Um, in 2012, it was the West Coast IPA, but now now here in 2021, the New England style is is king. But you know, in five years, it's going to be a different style of IPA, or maybe it's going to still be New England. Um, I don't want to kind of predict that part, but we always knew that was going to be a big effort of ours. Um, and then the loggers kind of came about as thing we enjoyed and something that develops in that last part of, of the interesting farmhouse is, is just like a passion project of mine um, that I just kind of like to keep in the forefront because um, 
like I said, it's a passion project of mine. It's something I, I hope to, to grow and expand. And, and at the very least, uh, even if they don't sell, I know I will drink them. Um, so it's from, from year to year, it really just feels like we're always just trying to, um, figure out what we're doing and what works. Um, our little internal mantras just always do better. Um, there's, there's no, you can't sit on your laurels at any point. Um, in anything. So if you're always kind of focusing and trying to figure out um, how you can improve on the product that you're making or, or any part of your life, like we kind of try to keep that, that engine moving in that same mentality, like just do better, get better. Like you got the only path forward is forward. No, those are all great. So explain the beer we just cracked open because we just took a sip and like, this was very, very refreshing. This was crisp. I, I like this a lot. I'm more of like you, Kind of yes. like, we're very into like the New England IPAs, the haziness, but this is something that's very great. So give us a run through of what this one was. And then a farmhouse too, like the description of a farmhouse as yes. well, because I don't really think people appreciate it for what yeah. it is. <laughs> and you know, we're, we're telling you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, the, the farmhouse is definitely always like a weird conversation, especially since we have our own internal name for it. Um, so what you're drinking right now, it's called Lionheart. Um, and, uh, so it's this year's batch. Lionheart is like probably one of the, it's the, we, we brew it once a year for the past. It's one of the beers we opened up with. Um, it's a clean, uh, Saison, which is a Belgian style. Uh, typically, uh, it's a subcategory of farmhouse, which, um, is just essentially, it's a style that was farmhouses are generally styles that were consumed by farmhands. They were utilized the raw materials that were available on the farm and usually just leftover ingredients uh, and, and simply used for the purpose of making sure that the people working in the field stayed hydrated. Um, so this one kind of takes that same uh, philosophy of utilizing what's around. And we utilize some uh, Rhode Island grown hops from our friend at uh, uh, Olson and Son Hop Yard. Um, Eric Olson is, is a, a amazing human being. He, uh, he owns this little, he, he literally grows these hops in his backyard. Um, tiny little, little, uh, decent sized yard in Riverside. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's, his story is so much larger than life that you, you read about him and, and, you know, none of it, none of it's wrong, but you think he's so much like bigger, bigger and more grandiose than he is. And, and though he is, huge he's just like a larger than life character you know you get to see that farm and you're like it, it's it's so small and it's but it's like i i really am i don't think i'm doing the story justice but i mean you just take it to, i recommend anyone who's listening to this take the time to check out uh olsen and son hop yard but so he grows his own hops and i reached out to him long long ago and um we we get these hops every year, we throw them in the whirlpool and it's just, it's this nice tie to the earth and the surroundings around us. And, and, uh, so it's, it's fermented with our house Saison strain, which is going to give you like a little bit of like banana, uh, crack, fresh cracked black pepper, little kind of hints of coriander, light, crisp, refreshing. Like, like I said, it's a, it's a beer you want to drink after you've been working in the field all day. Uh, and, uh, and Eric's hops are just like this, like, the, the icing on the cake, they have this beautiful kind of like lemon lime citrus character going on that really just like tie everything together. 
Um, and uh, this year we, we bottle conditioned it. And I think that's like, it's taken it from, from like zero to a hundred. It's, it's, it's so much brighter and livelier and, and fun and exotic. Um, it's, uh, it's just, it's got this, I've been calling it the fifth ingredient of that cart, that natural carbonation uh, really kind of elevates the overall, the mouthfeel, the flavor, the, the way it just kind of, it, 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 it's, it really is just magic um, the way that it works. What's the best um, that you've ever had that's not yours? Uh, oh, that's an easy one. That stays on the pond. Um, I mean, that, you can find that literally like on any shelf. It comes in like a green glass bottle with cork and cage. Um, and I, 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 the funny thing is I don't think anyone would ever argue with me on that statement. It's, <laughs> it's this beautiful, um, like just easy drinking, very bright, slight herbal, uh, hints of lemon citrus. Like it's, it's an easy drinking. Like that's why, that's why I fell in love with it so much because, you know, uh, in college you, you, everyone drank like PBR or, or some kind of light macro lager. And then when I was introduced like to the Saison style, it had that same easy drinking quality, but it was just like exploding with flavor. And it was just like, there's so much more going on that every time you took a sip, you're like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. And you could sit there and kind of wax poetic, um, or you could actually just sit there and crush it with friends. Um, so that's really what, what draws me to it is because it's, it's, it's beer, but it's like, it, it, it really just feels so much different than when you have that regular conversation about beer. It's, it's, it just hits different. <laughs> it's different. No, absolutely. Saison DuPont too. That's want to shout that out too, because that's on untapped. That has like hundreds of thousands of check-ins on untapped uh, Brasserie DuPont in, uh, in Belgium. And um, really cool. That's the first I've heard of it. I really do like farmhouse ales. I, I know you do too. Um, and yeah, that, that's the first I've heard. So we'll have to add that one to the list. Oh, I highly recommend it. I almost always have a bottle of it. <laughs> I mean, we'll definitely have to grab, uh, grab our hands on one of those. So what other beers do you currently have on your menu right now? Um, so we got a pretty solid selection. So, so we have strike the sun. Uh, we just recently released that. Um, and then uh, we also, one of, one of the cooler ones that we just released is uh, Dope Arcade, um, which we're selling pretty quickly. So it may or may not still be available when this comes out, but that's a coconut double IPA. Um, it's super nice. Like you get like this really subtle hint of, of coconut and it's, it, it's kind of was in that mentality of like, we're, we're rolling into the warmer months. You get those tiki drinks, like, you know, summer's hitting you know, bust out the, uh, the, the, the umbrella straws and stuff. So we were kind of hoping to, to do something fun with that. Um, and then we always have kind of a, a nice little lager. Uh, we're running on the tail end of one of my personal favorite beers, our, our Bohemian Pilsner. That's actually what I'm drinking uh, during this conversation. Um, and then um, we'll have, we have the, the regular German style Pilsner coming out soon. Um, and then we're going to introduce a Vienna. So we're, we're always doing a bunch of really cool stuff as far as loggers go, um, really kind of sticking to tradition. Um, and then we always have like a hoppy option where we're cranking out a lot of double trying out a couple of different hop combinations this year that are new to us. And so we're putting those out in, in different, uh, IPA, double IPA, uh, variations. Uh, we're, doing night vision binoculars, 
which is kind of turned into its own series of a uh, uh, citra with a featuring hop. Um, so we've done that. Uh, we've done peripheral vision, uh, loss vision. And then the one that kicked that off was actually called object permanence, uh, which if you don't know, it's, it's your ability to recognize things when they're not in front of you, AKA vision. So, uh, yeah, we got a, we got a ton of stuff going on. So I'm, I'm, uh, oh, we have our RI silver, which is another Saison farmhouse that we're doing. That's dry hopped with Mandarina Bavaria. So we're, we're, we're always trying to just have fun with it. Like, you know, figure it, like I said, we're always figuring it out, changing and evolving and, um, trying to make sure we're doing the, the best that we can and the, the things that we're happy and passionate about. And this can be home brewing. This can be at Buttonwoods. This can be any of your other jobs. What is the most wild, maybe ingredient or combination thereof that you just went for? And maybe it sucked. Maybe it was really good. Like what's, what's the time that you absolutely just went for it and either whiffed or did really well? Uh, that's actually a really easy one. Um, and only because that's, it's literally what happened is we did this collab with a main brewery called Sidereal Farms. Um, and we knew it was a, it was a, another farmhouse that we did and we utilized, um, uh, Norse, uh, yeast strains called the Kabik. Um, so our friend kind of sourced the yeast for us and we had these conversations about what to do as far as yeast goes. Cause he had a pretty extensive, uh, library. And, uh, so you know, we, we got this really kind of weird esoteric flavor profile from combining these different yeasts. And then they show up with like a, a tr literally a trash bag full of yarrow. And it, it, if you don't know what yarrow is, I didn't either at the time. It's this, it's literally just like this weed. It's a tiny little white flower, kind of looks like baby's breath, but it uh, grows in little clumps. Um, it's super herbal, kind of uh, semi-sweet. Um, it's, it's such a weird flavor. And they were like, oh, we thought we could use this in the beer. We've never used it in a brew, um, but we've always wanted to. Uh, so let's do it in that. And I was just like, kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> like whatever. Let's just, let's just throw it in and figure out what happens. Like it literally just hands me a clump of flowers as I'm saying, okay. He's like, here, try it. And like, he's like, I'm like, is it even edible? He's like, of course. <laughs> so we uh we just kind of like said you know what th this is weird this is cool and i feel like it already ties in to the weird nature of what this beer and brew is going to be so yeah let's do it so yeah it, and then we ended up adding spruce tips to it and uh, it kind of ended up being like a uh grew it or a, an unhopped beer um like how they used to make them in the middle ages interesting yeah we're kind of in the same boat because right now we're we're brewing a beer uh, it's a herba mate tea with some, you know, citrus flavors, but it's on the base of a Whitby. So we, we got the button sitting right next to us yeah. as we're recording. Right American now. wit backdrop with yerba tea. It's just kind of like, we're just figuring it out. If it's if it's good, it's good. You know, if it sucks, I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> right? but. It, I mean, it, it'll work. Uh, it's funny. I actually, in my earlier homebrew days, I did a, something uh, similar. We did herba mate green tea, and then like a plethora, uh, not citrus, citrus fruits, like grapefruits and stuff. And it, it just, those combinations, they, they work. You get um, such, such interesting flavor combinations, especially working with like a tea where you get strong tannin character. Um, so it's, it's, those things are a lot of fun. And 
uh, we actually used to brew a beer. So I was at the Bronx Brewery. That's where I cut my teeth brewing. And uh, we threw black tea into a, a cask once and it became their, their spring offerings. Tea is just such a fun, weird experimental ingredient that we're still kind of, most people are really just tapping like the, the usage for it. No, most definitely. So we're cracking open this last one now. I got to finish this. Uh, <laughs> you got, is it sense of place? It is. So give us a run through of what sense of place is. So, uh, so again, I gave you a bunch of like very like uh, near and dear beers to me because I, I I really love talking about these things. They're they're my passion projects, the things I enjoy. Um, so that one um, is really one of the closer ones to me, and a lot of the the main reason is that the um, artwork on there was done by my mother. Um, she's just recently started watercolor painting and she did this, um, I asked her if she wanted to do something and she just kind of put this together and it's, it's super awesome. And I love the way that it came out. Um, so the beer itself is made with, uh, Rhode Island and Connecticut grown peaches. Um, so to kind of start the story, cause it is a story, um, which is why our, 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 Slogan is beer with meaning because nothing's a short, like quick thing. Um, so we brewed a beer for Beervana back in 2019, uh, utilizing Rhode Island grown peaches fermented with our house uh, mixed culture. So it's going to have some acidity to it. Um, so once we we filled, we brewed that, emptied it out, put it on sale, and then we filled the tank back up with the peaches still in the fermenter fermented that in our in stainless steel transferred it to oak barrels where we aged that for two years um then we got some more peaches the, ne- the following year threw that into a tank and f- fermented the peaches by themselves uh, um u- utilizing only the yeast found on the skins of the peaches um so once that had gotten nice and and fermented we then transferred the beer out of the barrels into this tank and let those uh, kind of co-mingle for uh, about six to eight weeks. I believe it was about eight um, before we bottled it and let that condition for about three months. And, uh, and there it is. It's, it's kind of a, a, an homage to the fact that um, when we do these styles, we really want to have uh, a sense of meaning, a, li- a literal sense of place um, by utilizing these locally sourced ingredients. And this is like the biggest one because you know, all the, most of what we, what goes into that beer was sourced within like a hundred miles of our, our facility outside of the hops. Um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty cool beer and, and, um, I'm pretty happy with just the way it turned out. So got this really nice, like, it's like on the sour scale one to 10, it's about a four. So it's going to hit you. It's going to be a little puckering, but then it just like gives way to this super fresh, really bright peach smells like you're kind of like out in the woods in the forest, like just really bright and expressive character. So I I'm, I'm super pumped on that. And pretty much anytime anyone shows up, I'm like, Oh, you guys want to crack open a bottle of sense of place. Um, I have yet to get anyone to say no, thank God. But uh, I'm just like, it's the one that I want people to try the most. Yeah. I mean, not even because you're on the line with us and we're just like, you know, obviously complimenting you. This one, this one was the real. This one was excellent. I love the sweetness. 
overpowering. Um, it's not too tart. This one is legitimate. This one is a yeah. very, very good one. And you made a point. It's like almost acidic. Right? It's, it's got a little bit more acidity than the um, than the atmosphere, obviously. And pretty middle of the road for like a sourish kind of deal. You, you mentioned rustic industrial ale instead of anything else on the back. And I you know, like that one. Um, yeah, do you throw this into the sour bucket technically? Like, you know, somebody, if somebody goes into and says, you know, I want a sour. Does does uh, the sense of place come up? So, so the sour category kind of is such a weird grab bag that it's we. That's why we ended up calling it a, a rustic industrial ale. Um, you know, in certain parts of the world, they kind of call that. Uh, they they still categorize that in the farmhouse, which is also pretty vague because you guys had you had Linehart before that, and that doesn't ha really have a lot of acidity to it. And that would also be classified as a farmhouse. So it, it kind of, it gets frustrating in this category because, you know, you have uh, like a, a great example, as long as it does these, these beautiful like kettle sours, um, they have really nice acidity, they're fruit forward, but the things that go into making those, like he can turn that around in a couple of weeks and we do the same thing at, at our spot. But, you know, that I told you, I mentioned the journey of that year, it took over a year. Um, so it's, it's really, you know, you, it, it is a sour, but it's not a sour. And so like, that's why we struggle to categorize it. And it's, it's a, actually a very prevalent problem in the craft beer industry of that style is like, how do we tell people the story of what this beer is without getting tangled up in the minutia of what it is and without kind of underselling it as like, oh, it's a sour, you know? It's such a broad term. So we came up with the term rustic industrial ale because a it's a farmhouse influenced style beer, but we're not on a farm, but it also kind of as a category, when you come to us and you see the rustic industrial ale term on it, you have an expectation that you're going to kind of understand uh, what you're going to get. It's going to be that same level of acidity pretty much across the board. And it's whether we throw fruit at it, herbs or something, that's where the, the, things kind of deviate and change. So long story short, yes, it's a sour, but we try to keep it different to make sure that it doesn't get confusing, even though I just made it more confusing. <laughs> um, where, where Morgan do you see Buttonwoods going over these next couple of years? And, and you know, what's, it's tough to say like, what's the end goal, right? Because I, really don't think it's it's fair to ask you you know kind of where do you want to end up but what what's the short-term plan you know what's uh where do you want to take buttonwoods over these next you know this next year maybe and then over these next couple of years so uh, you know it, it it's fair to say what's the end goal because I, I i've said this since the day we opened i retired in in 2017 um and this is this is my retirement plan so this is the end goal uh, making beer pretty much until I, I physically can't make beer anymore. Um, but I think as, as we progress, you know, I think we have a pretty solid uh, repertoire of hoppy beers and I think that will never change. And we'll continue to improve on that. But I think where the future of us is that we're more going to be start, lo start looking kind of inward and, and trying to figure out what makes us different. Um, because, you know, as, as the craft beer industry gets more, more crowded, um, for lack of a better term, because I don't think it's crowded, crowded, 
there, there's going to be a lot more hoppy options. So you need, you need to find a way to think about who you are as an overall brand, as like an expectation and experience. Uh, and so that's, I think that's what we're, we're kind of focusing on this year. Um, you know, I, you can, you can ask the, my staff, but it's like every couple of days, I just start yelling out, it's the year of the beer barrel and, and, uh, lager. Um, and I think that's kind of, that's where we're going this year is, is we're introducing, um, I believe about six new loggers to our loggering program. We already have six. So that means we're going to have 12 different logger options that will be rotating through seasonality. Um, and then we just got, so we have 21 oak barrels of our rustic industrial ale going, and I think we're closing in on about 20 clean oak barrels. So we're going to have stouts, barley wines, um, other things like that. So we're, we're kind of really focusing on, on the, the things that, that are to me, um, more exciting because they're new and adventurous to me. Um, things that we haven't necessarily offered, but I've always wanted to to really dive into. And so I think that's going to be, that's the future of, of more passion projects, more, more having fun, um, more collaborations, more working with other people um, and trying to just kind of continue to foster the right relationships we already have um, and just kind of grow as, and take it kind of one day at a time as well. Excellent. No, and this has been a great, great conversation. We see your passion. It shows in the beer as well. This has been a lot of fun. Before we let you go, two more quick questions. The first being, what advice do you have to just, you know, people that are looking to start a business, especially, you know, things that we've mentioned, the the saturation, and there's a lot of breweries. So what are some advice to people that are trying to start a business that, it might be a complicated field or it might be a condensed field, but how do they differentiate themselves and how do they just, you know, strive to look for that success? Um, so, I mean, especially as the longer I've worked and, and operated a, a brewery, I've met a lot more business owners. And I feel like the thing that I, I tend to see um, from the people that are successful is um, <clears throat> they tend to have a, a, a full understanding of who they are and know who their brand is and know what they want out of things. Um, but they're also flexible because, you know, nothing's ever perfect. Nothing's ever going to go exactly the way you want. So you need to, you need to know where you start and you need to know where you want to end, but you need to make sure, and you need to make sure you never forget where you're going, but you have to remember that, that the road's not going to be straight. You're never going to kind of go from A to B and it's just a short, sweet, easy path. You're going to, you're going to deviate, you know? Maybe in two years, you expect it to be three times the size, um, but, you know, a pandemic hits and you're slowed down to use something very relevant right now. And all of a sudden you're, you're down by, you're behind a whole two years because of it. Like nothing's ever perfect. Nothing's easy. Um, but you're doing this because you love it. So you need to remember that you got to be flexible and you got to move with the, with the path as it goes along, you know, you, hiking a mountain, you got to take those, those zigzags to get to the top. Um, so just be flexible. Um, and also ask questions, you know, if you don't feel confident in what you're doing, the guy who runs the business next to you, maybe he's experienced it. He doesn't know the answer, but if you ask him, he'll tell you what they did. And that, that shared experience is going to just help you progress. And even having that conversation even make, might make them, kind of see their problem from a different perspective and help them progress. 
So, you know, we're all in this kind of soup together. So, you know, just take the, take life as it comes and, and work with each other and just always try to do better. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice. Did you see a little more questions? Yeah, no, I mean, the last one was, it wasn't necessarily a question. It's more of just the floor is yours. We appreciate the conversation, you know, you just had, thank you for sharing the beers with us and sharing your journey. Um, tell us what's going on in the world, you know, what, what's in store for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we obviously know the patio is opening up. The floor is yours to kind of share like, what's new in the button world, buttonwood world. Say that t- five times. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, we, we're, we're like you mentioned, we're opening the patio. We actually just, uh, just recently had our, our big, uh, kind of opening party. We, uh, we had a band there. It was a lot of fun. Um, we're hoping to kind of continue that forward and, and start getting more musical acts involved. Um, it was our first trial run. So it's, we don't have anything kind of planned set in stone for the future, but we hope to, to towards the end of the summer, have a better, uh, grapple on it and hopefully do at least some kind of musical act like once a month. Um, we also, uh, just this year, we added on, uh, what we're calling the annex. Um, it's a, uh, spur facility from our regular brewing facility. Um, and it's simply operates as our tasting room. Um, so we, we've, the, the brewing space is now, uh, sadly just all brewing space. So I know a lot of hardcore old school fans are going to be very disappointed to hear that news, but we've put a lot of work and love into, uh, building this new space called the annex and, I'm super proud of it. And it's only, we're only just really kind of tapping the surface of where we're going to build and make that better. Um, so over the next three to four months, we're really going to sink some money into the space and, and make it uh, a very enjoyable, much more enjoyable experience. Not that it's not already a great experience, but we, we want it to be that full buttonwoods experience you've come to, come to know and love. So um, that's our big, that's our big plans for this year. Um, like I said, we're also focusing on loggers and, and barrel age stuff. So keep an eye out for some of the things that we're releasing over the, the rest of the year. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the big stuff we're focusing on. It's things always change. So, uh, watch our Instagram and uh, Facebook. If, if you're curious to watch us on our journey. Yeah. Plug away now too. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Morgan Snyder, thanks so much for joining us. Um, where can our listeners find you? with buttonwoods um on social media wherever wherever our listeners can find you uh floor is yours again here yeah so uh, the best way to kind of get a hold of us or like kind of track what's going on is our instagram uh it's buttonwoods craft brewing um our facebook is also fairly up to date um and that's just simply buttonwoods brewery um our website is buttonwoodsbrewery.com that's where our online shop is that's where you can get reservations um especially with as we still have to do contact tracing we have that available um it'll just kind of make your experience easier to get in and schedule a spot because we can get busy over the weekends um yeah those are the main places you want to check us out our website is uh for beer to buy to go is shop.buttonwoodsbrewery.com so it's, it's pretty easy it's all buttonwoods brewery so um if you have any questions reach out to us on instagram we're usually pretty responsive on social media Awesome. Thank you so much. We're definitely going to grab a pint out to, outside at the patio in the next coming weeks, especially when the weather's getting warm. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your story and the beer, of course. And thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. 
And that was just Morgan Snyder, Buttonwoods Brewery. Great stuff. I mean, I was very impressed by his beer. I haven't had it in a few years. He kind of gave us some of his personal favorites rather than people's personal favorites, what I, I always like, you know, um, get get it straight from the source, you know, have, have the guy who's creating it and coming up with the ideas and the recipes show you what he loves the most rather than the trends of what people like. And overall, some great stuff. I mean, my favorite was the peach one. It's no apple, but peaches are still good. But in terms of apples, though, I mean, you've heard it from us once and we're going to tell you again, apple cider vinegar shots, nobody likes them they're disgusting they don't taste like good fruit fruity beer they just taste awful don't and they aren't really that helpful for you in terms of health benefits everyone's saying oh apple cider vinegar shots you know that'll help your digestion and that'll help your skin and help with your vitamin nutrients but it just corrodes your teeth it makes you feel like crap it doesn't taste well well our friends over at goalie gummy have flipped the switch and created something that provides more health benefits and it tastes good and it's easy to do and it's not expensive. That's a four for one right there. So Goldie Vitamins, they're the apple cider vinegar gummies, two shots of apple cider vinegar in one gummy. Great health benefits, boosted health benefits, helps with your digestion. They taste good. They're easy to get. We're going to give you a discount code as well. If you use the code the BBB pod, that's T-H-E-B-B-B-P-O-D, you're going to get 10% off your order. They have single bottles. They have monthly shipments. They have full year packages, whatever is easiest for you. Head over to their website. It's goalie.com and use the code the BBB pod for 10% off. It's great stuff. Goalie.com. Um, I'm, I'm loving it. it. Tastes like crack. It's delicious. That, that's all from us. <laughs> goalie. Um, top into business. We're going to get into crypto in a sec because we have to because it's this is our show at this point. It's just what the fuck's going on in the crypto world, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to power rank some shit coins in a bit. Uh, we talked about shit coins last week and it's like just crypto's popping out of nowhere for no reason at all. We'll get into it. But this is teetering on conspiracy, um, you know, borders because... We've got a situation in Europe here. Ryanair, the discount airliner that we all know, thinks that a country legitimately hijacked their plane on a flight from Greece to Lithuania. Everybody's cruising. They're about to get to their destination. And all of a sudden, they fly over Belarus. And the Belarus fighter jets come in and say, no, you have to land this plane. So turns out a guy on the plane was wanted on a bunch of different charges in Belarus. At least five or six people, when they landed, did not get back on the plane too. So now Ryanair and the European Union are all saying that this is terrorism. State-sponsored terrorism and a hijacking by a government. This is some crazy stuff. This, like, if this is legit, that is literally wild. That they took a plane down, they arrested some guy on their dirt... And they got back in the air like nothing happened. Yeah, not good. I mean, (laughs) easy as that. Not good. Um, Yeah, this state-sponsored piracy and terrorism is what's like, whoa, okay, what is going on over in Europe? And you kind of lose track of some of this global news when everything is kind of taking stateside with the pandemic and politics and business and sports. Everyone's so in, in the silo of domestic news but not necessarily international but if something like that slipped through the cracks 
you don't know what the hell is going to go on the wor- in the world. But surprisingly enough, Ryanair stocks only down one percent today. That's nuts. And like airline stocks as a whole haven't you know diminished. So, I mean, it's definitely something to take a take a look at. I mean, obviously Ryanair is not like the most profitable company. It's a it's, it's a the, budget airliner. Yeah, yeah, it's a budget. It's the southwest of the of the European Union. So. <laughs> And it's not a fun airline either. So I, no. I, I guess I can kind of see that something like this would have happened. I mean, politely saying, I, I didn't want to go too into the weeds of Ryanair if you know anyone in Europe's ever going to listen to us. Yeah. But you never, I mean, you never know. It's our untapped market. Um, but yeah, weird, weird stuff. So this journalist, they called him a dissident, Roman Pratasevich. He's wanted in Belarus for like a bunch of crimes that are kind of bullshit like sponsoring state terrorism and speaking his mind and free speech and all that stuff it's like kind of dangerous when you see what the charges they're trying to file against him are and the fact that they get him on the ground like they know he's on the plane they just funnel the belarus secret service in there and go we're going to take this motherfucker down call in the jets as soon as we get over the the border that's something that i physically can't fathom like, I don't know what I would do if I was on the plane. But it's also the crazier part, which kind of gets into the conspiracy conspiracy side of it, is the six people that were also on the plane that were not on the plane when they went back into air. They, I, my theory is they did their job, and they were like, all right, good work. Get back on the ground. Get your next mission. But, like, six people on one yeah. plane? I don't know. That's sketchy. And that comes into a whole other thing of, like, you have not necessarily Secret Service. What's, like, the protected flyer? Um, not TSA agents, like it's like the, it's like a secret shopper, but for the plane, you always have like, you see it in like every movie. There's always one guy with a gun on every plane. Yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah, it was a KGB that was there and it's like, uh, you've put two or you put a few full blown agents on that plane. Like they're ready to kill this dude. That's crazy. Like, I don't know. We're going to have to find out a lot more. State sponsored terrorism. It's. They called in, like, they're blaming the president or whoever's the leader of Belarus. They're saying, like, oh, this is all your fault. Like, that you are after this dude, and that's illegal. Like, that's a war crime. That shit is nuts. International fallout. Lithuania ordered all flights to and from its airports to avoid Belarus airspace from early Tuesday, as an advisor transport minister told CNN. And the foreign ministry urged citizens to leave Belarus, citing risk to security and threat to the lives of civilians across the globe. Yeah, that's nuts. So, what the hell is going to happen now? Scandinavian Airlines joined with that. Air Baltic, which is the fly carrier of Latvia. Um, the German carrier. Uh, what is it? What, Lufthansa? Yeah, they're, they're out too. Wow. KLM. I so, mean, this could end very poorly, is yeah. the bottom line, for international relations. And I, I honestly... I mean, no one really... I, <laughs> I was going to say no one really loves Belarus, but... You're going to start a war with Belarus. BBB pods against it. And it's a B country, too. Are we blaspheming ourselves? It starts with a B. Beers, business, balls, and Belarus. And anti-Belarus. We're an anti-Belarus podcast. I think that's how it works. Throw it on the record. We're going to have the KGB after us now for terrorism. And maybe we should cut that out. We'll figure that out in post, man. Yeah, crazy shit going on in Europe. And this this is not over. This story is definitely not over. How much detail the media lets out is another story. But man, I'm on the edge of my seat. We're going to have to have Connor back and talk about that too. We just got to keep an eye on airline stocks to kind of relate it back to business. Yeah. And not even airline stocks, how it could 
like interrupt any global trade too. right i mean that's where belarus is not like your biggest importer exporter no. nor is it any ties to um tourism or hospitality but i mean anytime something like this occurs there's got to be some kind of spark in the market yeah because i mean you know when you can't fly through belarus i mean how much is that going to interrupt american commerce as centrist as that sounds i mean that's what the stock market's about and you know you saw a ship in egypt literally take out most of the american economy for a couple of weeks then shit like that can happen out anywhere yeah you know because think about how many cargo um you know planes are coming from i don't know china japan russia that way I don't know how much cargo from Russia comes in, but you've got to figure that's interrupting some stuff. But at least avoiding the airways. I mean, that means you have to take longer routes or different routes, yeah. which could equate to diff- more fuel being used or different countries to land and like different taxes with that. I mean, it's a whole now slew of shit, if you, if you would, just to put it in simple terms of how much this could actually impact something. And think about the countries around them. The Ukraine's a big country. Poland is a, a good, um, you know, Poland gives out a lot of shit, right? They export a bunch. Um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting, interesting lens to look at this through. And I think we're not done with the repercussions of this yeah. in the American economy. Anyway. And we might not necessarily have firsthand impact to this necessarily, but if it starts disrupting stuff in Europe or Asia, which is like obviously more geographically closer to Belarus, yeah. then the impacts will obviously ripple effect to us in some way, shape, or form. I agree. So keep your eyes on just the hospitality stocks in general. I feel like that's a lot of the stories we dive into. They end up in hospitality, that kind of stuff. Um, what, what would this show be if we had if we don't talk about crypto? <laughs> that's that's because that's all, about. all that's yeah. going on in the stock market right now. It's crypto this, crypto that, the and crypto then crypto crash of twenty twenty one. It's borderline recession stuff like <laughs> for crypto all these <laughs> the wall street bros on reddit like crypto crash we talked about it a couple of weeks ago these dudes are fucked no the scary part is the fact that that we are not as an educated society as we think we are that people are putting life savings into meme coins like i saw a tweet that was just one of those like stupid like meme posts and stuff it's like but it was actually kind of like it kind of like hit home a little bit. It's like for you, you might be buying a couple Doge coins or meme coins as like a joke because you have extra money saying laying aside. But to someone else who is like, this might be my chance to buy a home, get out of debt, do X, Y, and Z. Like, and we're taking it as an absolute joke because it's an opportunity to gamble money away. Those people might be fucked. Like those people might be on the street right now. Yeah, I mean, because- they're like hundreds of thousands of dollars putting into coins that they have no idea what they do, how they work, or why they're created. And that's a beautiful segue into our segment this week, and that is our inaugural Power Rankings of Shit Coins. Cue the music. Um, we each picked three shit coins, if you will. Uh, shit coin being a play, play on words of, you know, obviously Bitcoin, but any crypto out there, really, that is literally, that, that might not have a purpose to the naked eye, they're just kind of there either as a joke or... Maybe as somebody's gateway, right? Um, you want to go first? You can go. Me? All right, cool. Power rankings of shit coins. Um, we're going to talk about, we're, we're going to give our three. These don't have to be good. They just have to be like, you know, basically like, what the fuck? Um, so I chose Dick as number one, D-I-C-K. Um, it's built on Ethereum. 
which devotes a fixed percentage of the liquidity pool into a public wallet from where it will be probably distributed to credible nonprofit organization with a track record for effectively engaging in the rescue activities of gays who are in danger. That's a big twist. I did not. I mean, it's called <laughs> dick. It makes sense. Okay. <laughs> but so there's 10 million U.S. dollars circulating in dick. And that's like eight. Oh, my math. I think that's 836 trillion dick coins circulating right now. And my point picking that one is like, what the fuck? We're just slapping a mission on random stuff, and all of a sudden there's 836 billion or 836 trillion of them in circulation. That's crazy. Not you can get them for like under a cent if you can't tell. Way under a cent. So that's a dick. Pitbull. How can we forget Pitbull? The icon himself, Mr. Worldwide, is a crypto. Um, decentralization of power has allowed Pitbull to flourish as a 100% community-driven project. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Investors are integrated into the project from both a community and developmental standpoint. That's another one. It's just like, what the hell? 400K US dollars circulating of Pitbull. And the logo is not Pitbull, unfortunately. It's just, a, I think, a Pitbull dog. But along the theme of the dogs, it's like you have the Shiba Inus and all this shit with Dogecoin, obviously. It's a big one. Last one for me is Garlicoin, and I liked this. GRLC. They're calling it a new, freshly baked cryptocurrency. This is right from the website. Quote, unquote, born from the shit posts of Reddit. Um, it was digitalized orange, the user on Reddit, that basically just invented a crypto from the ground up. And his whole thing was cheap and fast transactions, low barrier to entry, and total focus on the community. And for what I think is the best mission out of all of those, it has the lowest value. It has $8,000 circulating. With all these random other fucking coins, the one that has the most thought and the, most, the nicest website is the cheapest one. And the one that you can't get a lot of. What are we doing? <laughs> that is the bottom line. What on earth are we doing? This is a wild world. It's a stupid world. It is a stupid world. It's a stupid world. We just were analyzing stocks that are Pitbull, Garlicoin, and Dick. What what does this show become? But that's what the market is, so yeah. <laughs> I mean we I mean that is it. Man. All right. Uh power rankings of shit coins. Tondo, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, I originally had three just based off of like funny names, and I'll still say them, but I won't go in. I do, I was gonna do Poo Coin or mm. Blowfish or Goat Zuckerberg. Uh, meme token but i flipped it to base these coins based off the volume of how much is circulated at the moment so the first is doggy d-o-g-g-y um it has over 126 million dollars circulated in this coin which equates to 5.78 billion doggy coins couldn't tell you much more on that it is a derivative of dogecoin the second one is Akita Inu, which has 86.3 million coins circulated. They are a they're the same as Shiba Inu, another coin, oh um, but with different token metrics. It's a decentralized community experiment, keyword experiment, with claims that half the tokens have been sent to Vitalik Buterin and the other half were locked to a Uniswamp pool and the keys burned. English? <laughs> I don't know what, what Let's I don't look. know what this is. Like, is this all just made up shit? 
Oh, he's a computer scientist. Yeah, which is the, also a Canadian. He's one of the co-founders of Ethereum. Yes, yes. But the other half was burnt, and that has eighty-three million dollars that circulated. It was burnt. So where does it go? Like what? <laughs> no, the key. Like so, no one can create more. Yeah, like, but uh, this is also fuck. But that's that's thirty. That's thirty trillion Akita coins. Yeah, is that what's that? What is? It, Excuse me. That's what it equates to. The third being pig finance, also known as a pig token. Um, over seventy or fifty-seven percent of supply held by Black Hole. Um, Twenty-eight thousand Telegram members. It's a token on Binance Smart Chain, boasting a number of impressive features. It's the first token with Black Hole design that exponentially cuts the total supply in circulation by massive amounts. Pig combines with an innovative auto liquidity feature that increases liquidity of the token rapidly. Whole lot what? of not English, <laughs> but there's over 150 trillion pig coins being circulated at 54 oh million uh, market cap. I've said "Oh my god" to myself like five times, <sighs> just with you reading it, with me reading it. I don't, I, I don't know. Every time I want to analyze this, I come back to what you say every week ago. I don't, you know, the more I read it, the less I understand about it. And I think it's growing that way for me too, because you have these people that influence on Reddit and other message forums. And then you have CEOs that are bought in on it too. Obviously, Elon Musk is the example, but you have these company leaders that are saying, we want to look at crypto as more ways to transact. And... Then they just start shitting on certain coins and talking about how they want to build on the blockchain here, but not there. And it is so reactive to what these people say that I, it could, you could lose your life savings in a second. Well, the insane part is like when you brought up that we're going to do this list, I'm thinking, okay, what are the shit coins right now? Doge, ass, Shiba Inu, Safe Moon. But there's a whole list of over a hundred of these different coins. Yeah that were they created yesterday on the fly probably like yeah, we're it, at 70 on this list alone is it the same as like nfts where people are just creating that shit on the fly now that it's popular but some of these coins also have been concepts for 10 years to make fun of bitcoin I and know. now they're finally just being like hey we have a place to do it and i'm also confused on terms of like the regulation which we talked about it briefly last week or the week before it's like if it's all decentralized and there's no like government bearing on it but we still have to pay taxes and capital yeah. gains and stuff but on the flip side of that too it's like the creation of these coins like how are they being built and how are like you can't buy them in certain states there's some states you can't hold crypto wallets to buy these coins so yeah that's you weird. have to use vpns which is obviously the easy workaround but if states are not allowing you to purchase them or they're not available in the states, then how is it also not affiliated with the government? That's me sighing. Like, that doesn't make sense. Mm. I don't know. I'm tying the bow on this for this week. We'll talk about crypto next week. Oh, that's not going away. It's pretty much a get rich scheme. It's, yeah, it might not, it, like, it might not even be get rich quick. Is get rich, and it goes back to like what your point before. It's like these people out on the streets losing all their their savings because it's their way out. Like whatever happened to um, you know investing only what like you're capable or willing to lose, 
right? That was a huge principle, like only invest what you're willing to lose. And now I feel like that shit just gone out the window. Oh yeah, I mean, it all, it, all, it really all started a couple months back with the whole GameStop and AMC and stuff like that, where people are like, oh wait, this is an opportunity to buy in low, see it go high and sell immediately. But then there's just so many trickling dominoes effect with it. It's the same with these coins, especially when you're looking at, I mean, I'm just looking on the list right here. We'll go with Shiba Inu. <laughs> It is one coin is worth 0.00001048 of a dollar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's some, up 34% today. And somehow it has a market cap of 4.2 it's billion. billion. That's billion. <laughs> yep. Dogecoin, which billion. is now at 36 cents, it was hit a high of 70, but people bought it at 0.005 of a cent, is now at almost a $48 billion cap. <laughs> And I still don't know what Dogecoin does. I know. It is a coin that was a meme to make fun of Bitcoin. And we can't transact with it. But now places are taking it. But now I'm just buying something at an inflated price or a deflated price. These are going to be like, hey, it's five Dogecoin, which to me is only worth less than $3. And then what, next tomorrow can be worth $20? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we're going to be talking about crypto next week with our guest. Yeah, <laughs> so we might as well just end it here because <laughs> it is just silliness. We're not done on crypto. We're not done. I'm gonna, before we start balls, I'm going to check and make sure that's... All right, we're on to balls. It is playoff season. It is... Very exciting time in the sports world because we have the NBA playoffs, first of all, which I don't think anyone thought we would get to. Cool thing about the NBA playoffs, before we dive into our debate here on the play-in tournament, they're playing mostly full capacity at places. Mm-hmm. New York City, who we th- was a total train wreck just a couple of months ago, they've got 15,000 people in the garden. That was loud. That's really loud, and that's a good sign for this sport. Like, yeah. very good. No, I mean... it. It, it helps. It definitely helps. Unfortunately, the Knicks did lose yesterday by two. A um, mm. couple questionable calls, a couple sloppy plays, but 15,000 fans sounded like 50,000. And I even go back to just full capacity before we dive back into NBA playoffs, but when the Yankees played the Astros and only had 20%, it sounded like full capacity October. I mean, that was a lot of pent-up aggression and yada, 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 but having those fans in there makes the player so much better imagine and again there was obviously the reason for the bubble last year you can't just say imagine if there was fans at the bubble like that was the whole purpose (laughs) is no fans but if there was fans in those small stadiums for the bubble rocking it'd be rocking so and that's a like oh my god imagine you put even three thousand fans fans. in in like the convention center because fake noise is not the same as real noise oh no because it's live. And we hear that from Silverman all the time. He's like, I didn't realize how much of the crowd I use to go take pictures and you to don't capture know, the yeah, important you moments. don't know where you're looking at. And then it's just like, you know, the artificial crowd noise comes in. It's like, by that time, the guy's already scored a touchdown. Yeah. Or the guy's already had the slam dunk that you were supposed to take a picture of. And I don't know. This is just very good. Nature's healing, if you will. The tickets are being sold. They're honestly lifting the vaccination requirements, too, which is how it should be. You know? But it sucks with the tickets sales because like it's so expensive. Oh my god, it's like absurd. I mean, you don't get tickets when they drop from the like from the team. 
you're fucked. Because but, if you go on StubHub after, people are selling them for four or five times the price. I mean, before the tickets even dropped, they were saying the Knicks Hawks was like $1,000 plus. Yeah. So I don't think that's in any way worth it. For some people, it is. For me, it's not. For me, it's not too, but there is like, it is justifiable the price, I guess, in terms of the Knicks haven't been in the playoffs in eight years. We haven't been to a sports game in over a year. All the stars align for this to be like the true fans with the deep pockets are going to come no matter what. Yeah, that's true. And I get that. Probably a good move from the league. And there's a lot of crypto profits now, I guess. <laughs> Fucking A. <laughs> it, it spreads. It spreads. Shout out John Rothstein. Um, playoff picture. We're looking at the spread here right now. You know, this is a fairly evenly matched playoff. Um, I think, you know, this is one of those series that you look up and down and you're like, all right, you know, any team could honestly like pick off any team here, I think with the exception of the the Wizards maybe picking off the, the Sixers, but... Anything stand out to you? Any matchups in here that you're like, yeah, that's the one? Um, Clippers-Mavericks, I think, is going to be a good one. Uh, Dallas took the game one. This is coming on to the free agency where Kawhi could either stay or go. Um, This team was supposed to be finals or bust last year. Um, They obviously got bounced very early into that bubble. And the Mavericks, too, they also need to decide on, it's like, Okay, we have the young talent, the next face of the league in Luka Doncic. We have players around him. Do we need another star, or are we just going to be a playoff team and be fine with that? That shouldn't be the case for them. Obviously, like bias aside, because I want the Mavericks not to do well to actually have value in the Porzingis play, mm. but that's a, a, a big key matchup. Lakers-Suns. Um, can the Lakers repeat? Is anyone afraid of the Lakers? You know, the Suns, obviously the Chris Paul effect, anytime he goes to a new team, he obviously creates instant gratification and success right there. Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden are looking to, you know, excel in their young careers. That's a key matchup. Uh, in the East, I mean, nothing really sticks out I in particular. I don't like the East this year. You know, I don't really like the, the next round is where it's going to get important. It's like, well, the Sixers, you know, continue to be the number one team in the East. Can the Knicks obviously move on and continue their success? Will Giannis do anything in this playoffs after signing that massive extension? Can the Heat return? Do the Celtics do anything? It certainly do doesn't the, look like the Heat are yeah. going to return. Like, are the Nets, you know, destined for the finals? Finals for bust for them? It's 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 going to be interesting. I agree. And I, I think the matchup to watch here, man, don't count out the Lakers here. I hate to say No, it. I don't think so. You can't, like... I don't think that's a that's a hot take in no, no, any it's means. Not. Yeah. Like, it's like you can't count out the Lakers. I mean, I think the pressure is definitely on, but like a two seven draw with the Lakers, you know, that's almost unfair to Phoenix. It is unfair to Phoenix, but like it also could tell like, is this team really at a hundred percent right now? Yeah, like I'd almost rather if I'm Phoenix, I'd almost rather play Portland. Yeah, who's a six seed and Los Angeles is a seven, or you know maybe not Memphis because Memphis looks pretty good too right now. Young I mean, team, they, they're they going to be here for a while. Yeah, they just beat the Utah Jazz. Uh, it was an eight-one upset, and I'm not saying you know that that's their ticket, but man, I mean they look good. Dylan Brooks looks great. John Morant, obviously, the one of the faces of the league. It's an interesting spread. I think we're gonna. I, I'm gonna be much more. I want to learn about the East a little bit more because. Mm-hmm. We're not really going to learn anything in this first round. I think everyone on paper, maybe if there's any upset, it's probably going to be, I hate to say it, it's probably going to be the Hawks over the Knicks. 
If there's like if I'm just looking at the East, if yeah. Any lower seed picks off a top seed, it's going to be hard. It's considered a, and it's considered an upset, like a four or five. Yeah. It's like one of those like it is what it is. It's like it's like when you go back to March Madness, it's like you know the. Eight, those, nine, eight, ten, seven. Nine. It's like, eh, like it, it's it, it's an upset, but like it's not one of those like, yeah, like sixteen and ones or eight and ones in this case. Yeah, exactly. Um, transitioning now to what happened before this, this was the first year that the NBA had a play-in tournament where the bottom four seeds in each conference had to play each other to get into the tournament, and that's how the Lakers got in. That's how Memphis got in. It's how the Wizards got in. It's how the Celtics got in. Thoughts on that, and then we'll we'll start diving in here. Yeah, so my initial thought before it was announced, it's like, why is the league going to mess up something that they had working well? And in terms of working well, I thought last year when it was, they had obviously the bubble play-in tournament with some of the teams that were on technically on the bubble, which in this case would be like the 8, 9, 10, 11, um, or 7, 8, 9, 10, right? Yeah. I thought, okay, your ninth seed, which is a team that is deserving, it's on that cusp, they have a competitive record, they have good players, faces the eighth seed on someone who it's like, who should truly be that eighth seed? I thought that was a perfect mix. I thought I was like, okay, eight, nine, battle of the bottom, whoever can make the run, great. When I originally saw it, it's like, okay, your top six scenes are in. I would be pissed off if I was the seventh seed coming in because for the entirety of the NBA, it's like seventh seed, it's a playoff. Like, are you going to do something? Maybe not, but you're in the playoffs. Now you have to earn that right again. Eh, I don't know. Getting four seeds. What I didn't like about the play-in tournament was, okay, in a regular tournament, it should be seven play 10, eight play nine, move on. Right. But it was seven, eight and nine, 10, Winner of the 7-8 automatically goes to yeah, the 7-8. Yeah, it's an auto bid. I'm not crazy about not that. Not crazy about that. And then and then the winner of that faces the winner of the other matchup. And that 9-10 matchup, whoever loses, is automatically out. Yeah. It was like a weird, not a round robin, but it's like win two and you're in, win one if you win, lose one if you're out, lose two and you're out. Like It just didn't... I didn't like it. Here's what I think they should have done, and maybe they do this in the future. But to connect that round robin theme... My solution is you put all four of these teams in a pool. They all play each other round robin. You know, top two teams advance, bottom two teams don't. Right? What's tough about that, though, then it's like those teams are automatically countouts for... I would I would put them as a countout in the actual playoff because they've already played two to four games. Yeah. Yeah, because you'll have played deadass like three games. Yeah. Already. Whereas, like, then you have your top seeds, like, just chilling resting good to go yeah and it sucks because it's the nba and you can't you have to be load management and all this yeah. shit maybe that's a better maybe that's a better uh, idea and concept than it is in actuality i don't, I don't know but i mean it was kind of crazy though because all of those games were nail biters to the finish there was not necessarily i think i think methods the, the spurs grizzlies was the only blowout yeah if i'm if i'm uh correct um that might have been close i don't remember the pacers kicked the shit out of charlotte that's what it was no pacers charlotte was the blowout yeah everything else was like down to the wire slash overtime like the lakers warriors game might be the game of the playoffs yeah so far but uh, i i didn't love it i mean obviously ball don't lie pacers (laughs) Faced the Wizards as the 8-9. The Wizards won as the true 8th seed. And the Celtics were the 7th seed and went in. 
Lakers were the seventh seed and went in. The upset was Grizzlies over the Warriors, which like they're probably like, oh shit, Steph and the Warriors aren't in the playoffs again. Mm-hmm. Uh oh. But new blood with the Grizzlies come in. Yeah. So my, I'm gonna leave it like, I think they could have done this better. That's, oh, without that's a doubt. my without a doubt. My what, what I'm gonna take from this and where I stand in this debate is like they could have had so many different ways and i don't think the players wanted this too like you had jamal murray openly like talking to silver and saying this is awful why don't you listen to us and that's what pisses me off that they and it's odd from silver because he is like a very player oriented he is um commissioner yeah which is weird but ratings um, and money speak i know i know so this should be interesting i mean we'll find out if the sixers deserve their one seed that's what you know big storylines what can or the, the Jazz were in their one seed. Yeah, did either one seed really deserve it? Um, what can the Knicks do in their first playoff appearance in a million years? Um, are the Heat going to be a total blank? And does what does LeBron have left mm-hmm. with a kind of a an ailing team? I guess that's what I think. So buckle up, NBA playoffs. Um, MLB has been crazy lately. A lot of no hitters. There are already seven of them. No, six of them. Um, Seven. Seven's the record, right? Kluber. No. Kluber was seven. Technically, Bumgarner would have been eight. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. So, bottom line is, right now, we are on pace to absolutely shatter the single-season record for no-hitters in in an MLB year. We've already had so many of them through two months. This is not normal for you baseball novices. This is not normal at all to have so many players going out and throwing no-hitters. Corey Kluber from the Yankees is the most recent one. That was the last one since the 90s for the Yankees. The question becomes, with all these people weighing in, is it actually good for baseball or is it detracting from the game? It's a gray area. I'm going to give my thoughts. I love this shit. Um... You have a lot of people saying, you know, this, and Don Mattingly said it yesterday. I respect his argument. He said, you know, this is, you know, if we get a no hitter, that's great. I'm obviously going to hype my guy up, but this could be bad long term for the game. No, I say celebrate I don't think, it. I don't know, think it's bad for the game. I am mostly, you know, 100% on the, of the mentality that this is good for this game. You know, in an era where we can't market baseball players and, you know, people know who LeBron James is, but they don't know who Mike Trout is. And guys like Aaron Judge and, and you know Trevor Bauer and th- people of that nature. I think this is a step in the right direction for marketing baseball players better. Like, who the fuck knew? I didn't even know Spencer Turnbull was on the Major League Baseball roster, and he threw a no hitter for uh, for the Tigers a couple days ago. So I I'm pretty much like cemented into that take. Yeah, I mean, the only way you can change it is if you're really gonna like move the mound back which has already been in talks as potential but easy way to piss all the pitchers yeah easy way to piss all the pitchers off and you have players coming out where it's like okay yes has there been seven if not eight of no hitters this season is that a lot absolutely but i'm still shitting i'm still shitting bricks in the eighth inning it's like am i gonna mess up as a catcher am i gonna am i gonna mess up as as an as a fielder am i gonna drop a ball or not throw it in time like the angst is still there it's not an easy feat whatsoever it's still very impressive now it comes to the thing it's like will it lose its luster it might but it's still a enormous feat which is very impressive but now it's just going to be like okay how many more perfect games are we going to have or how many 20 strikeout games are we going to have We've only had 311 no-hitters in MLB history, and there's only been 274 from the current mound. 
So that's hard. That's it's still not an easy thing. But, and it's also like, okay, if you're going to blame it, like, oh, there's so many because of X, Y, and Z. How about of just crappy offensive mechanics? I know. I mean, not for nothing, but how many have the Mariners been a part of and the Rangers? I and know. the Well, two this year. There were six. Yeah, you know what? Six no-hitters because it's Mariners got no-hit twice. Cleveland got no-hit twice. And Texas got no-hit twice. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Do they suck? Well, I think they do, but... Well, the Mariners have, like, a combined batting average of, like, sub-200, It so. is 199 as of today. Before yeah. the Monday night games in MLB, they have the worst average, and they're hitting 199 as like, a that's, that's bad. That's bad. That is not good. So, I still think it's a cool thing. I mean, it's unfortunate that it's kind of lost its luster in terms of, like, you know, back a couple seasons ago, it's like, if a player of any team or any caliber was on the no hitter watch you know espn would pause its you know pause anything and be like tune into this no hitter that's possibly happening it. we're cutting to it or they have like a little sidebar now it's just like if it's not a team you follow like you know for example uh the kid from the tigers that you mentioned i'd have been like turnbull yeah, yeah i've been like okay let me know if he gets it or not in the mm-hmm. ninth inning and that's kind of how i was with it and i'm like all right you know what is it still cool. awesome yeah but it's like i have no skin in the game for it if it's a perfect game, however, different story. And there was actually a couple no-hitters this year, including Kluber's, that were one, one not an error, but one walk or a drop strike three to not make it a perfect game. He had... He had a walk. He had one yeah, walk. Yeah, he walked the guy in four pitches, too. Yeah. It's like just not even close to the zone. What an interesting game that was. I went back and watched the highlights. I didn't watch it live, but, I mean, I don't know. I think... We're on the same page here that this is good for the game. Um, give these guys all the accolades in the world. You know, that's sick. Especially because it's not like your guys like DeGrom, Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer. Like, it's, you know, I mean, Corey Kluber is still the name sure. by all means. But, you know, Turnbull, like, who is he? Spencer fucking Turnbull, baby. Who is he? You My know? king. It's weird. So the Tigers kind of suck, but they're like, they're, are they sneaky good? That's they won the like question. eight and two in the last ten. Yeah, it's true. They're two turning. Losses, so I bet we're the Yankees. They're turning. They are. And that's interesting stuff. And you know who's the manager of the Tigers? AJ Hinch. Piece of shit. Yeah, I know. Ugh, can't stand him. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm really excited for baseball. I, I am, and I hope the Yankees are good. We'll talk about that another day. But we'll just talk about how baseball is not as fun. <laughs> yeah. Because as fans, you're still enjoying it, but. If I wasn't a, if I was a kid deciding like, you know, going to Professor Oak's lab and choosing one of my starter Pokemon, as in like <laughs> having it being what, what sport am I going to follow? Baseball would not be it. No, it wouldn't. Basketball or football or something where you're going to get a lot of fame. Dude, even hockey right now, I'd be like, I would enjoy. If I was a fan coming I'm in, be, be Tom like, Wilson, you know, how many, the shit out of some guy. I mean, think about how many people that are sports fans that are like, oh, I'm not really invested in hockey. Let me do it, and now they're hooked. I, I know, I know. But I'm I'm optimistic. I think you know if they take the right steps, they'll get there, and hopefully that involves firing Manfred, but um, Rob Manfred, the commissioner. I what's having all these old heads also being like let go of the grip. Yeah, it's not your game anymore. I know. Let them cheat. Let them use steroids. Not let even steroids, everything. but like let them flip a bat. No, that, that too. Let them wear colored cleats. Let them swing when you have a position player throwing against you in a fifteen to four game a three zero count. Let them swing. Let him, I mean, it's again, like Tony Larusa. Oh, even though they got that. pissed off at the Braves manager, got pissed off at Acuna. They were up like thirty runs. Yeah, 30 whatever. Runs. They were, they, but it was they almost scored thirty runs. Yeah. It was like twenty. And it's like, hey, let him hit left-handed. 
Mm. Hey, yeah. you might have discovered a switch hitter. Maybe. Maybe Acuna goes into the Hall of Fame as a switch hitter. So, who the That's fuck That's a nice cares? spin on that. Who cares? I like that spin. It's like, let them do whatever they want. They're not like, it's not detrimental to the game if they're, you know, up 14 runs and they swing a hit a grand slam on a 3-0 count against a position player. Again, if you're really down that bad, don't throw your position players out. Go up with your head high and throw in a reliever. Yeah, I agree. You know? If your reliever can get one, two, three, then let it happen. Instead of a position player throwing 40 miles an hour over the plate. I'm with you. I don't know. I'm with you. Dumb, We dumb, need to fix dumb. baseball, and I think... I, I'm not too worried. Like, I'm not going to overreact because I think these might be growing pains with, you know, growing the game. Um, I, I'm not really sure, but we'll see. Um, I'm, I'm not terribly worried. I think they'll start to figure it out. That wasn't as positive as we'd like it to be, so let's... Let's bring some positivity corner into our lives. This one is about dogs again. We like dogs. We talk about dogs on the show quite a bit. And this dog had a pretty good spin in his own career here. Yeah, so something that's actually a little bit more common than you would have thought. But Sheldon the dog, he flunked out of service animal training school. But he became an ace at sniffing out arson. So for those of you who don't know that dogs that go to... Um, you know, these training schools to do whatever job they might be, whether it's a service animal or a police dog, whatever it might be, if they fail, they end up just becoming, you know, a family pet, which like some people, I had a family friend of ours that adopted, like, they were housing the dog, mentoring it, it failed, but they ended up being able to adopt it. So uh, uh, instead of, you know, having that goodbye of having a puppy grow up in your home for a year or two, go off to do its job, it ended up coming home. But um, this laboratory retriever mix named Sheldon was in pro- enrolled in a program as a service dog in Wayland, Michigan. He did not make the cut, though, um, but he did catch an interesting smell, which made his concentration fly out the window, and all he wanted to do was hunt down this source. Um, the smell was obviously flame and tinder, and he actually ended up becoming... Uh, while in his civilian life, transferred as a part-time State Farm arson dog program where his sensitive nose put him at the top of the class finding out what people are using to light illegal fires. So not only does he get his family life, he also still gets to do some of the service work and be able to sniff out uh, potential arson attacks, which I think that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, part-time puppy at home, (laughs) part-time like defending the world from arson attacks, but... Pretty cool stuff. I mean, obviously, he couldn't become like the true service dog of being able to like sniff out drugs, but he's sniffing out fire, and that's a pretty good spin zone. What a yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a life for a dog too. You get treated, you know, as the as the family dog, and you're sniffing out fires in the meantime. Man, I, I love that. Not bad. Wish I had a dog that could do that. Yeah, I want a dog. Fuck. <laughs> you're not ready for. <laughs> I'm a dog. not ready for a dog. I. There's no way. Oh man. Um, maybe I'll just you know throw the house at dick or pitbull and that way i can afford a dog or i can afford negative dogs after that after it crashes oh man that'll do it from us for this week we're gonna be talking more crypto uh over the weeks to come got a really cool crypto guest either yeah probably next week uh we'll we'll have that crypto guest ready for you guys really cool stuff crypto and real estate and the stock market and all that good stuff we're talking a little bit about gambling too um Go hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, wherever you find our content. That's Will, and I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.